Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another and impacting the world. God, reveal your glory through the preaching of your word. Let's open in a word of prayer. Lord, even the thought, even the thought of seeing your glory, it amazes us, it confounds us that we who are wicked and sinful might be reconciled to you. Your glory, Lord on display even this morning through the preaching of your word as a preacher father it's even scary to think and yet lord it is true because your word is without error and your word is sufficient and in your word we see the person of Jesus Christ and so this morning lord god we ask would jesus be high and lifted up and might we see something of his glory even as you hid moses in the cleft of the rock and covered your hand that he might see you lord might we see you this morning and praise you all the more for the sight May we see your glory through the preaching of your word we ask. Amen. Let me start off by saying friends, nothing 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 can prevent the spread of the gospel. Nothing. The world may ridicule sneer mock us and our message but God's word continues to conquer souls in every age from way back at the start of the church even into the present age the gospel triumphs amen as the gospel is preached souls get save because nothing will prevent will prevent the spread of the gospel what is the gospel well the gospel quite simply is good news uh, the the word comes from a greek word euangelion euangelion is a compound of of two words the first is you and it means good and the second is angelion and it means message the gospel is the good message or the good news jesus declared that the gospel this good news about himself would triumph that it would conquer 
Luke writes about this in the gospel that bears his name in chapter 24. You can turn there uh, just briefly, verse 44. It reads as such, and it's the words that Christ spoke just before he ascended into heaven. We celebrated that on Thursday evening. Just before Jesus ascended into heaven, hear the words that he spoke. It is written. That the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. You will note that his disciples are Jesus' messengers. Note that the message was to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. Note that this message is simple. Christ died, Christ rose. Luke's blockbuster sequel to his gospel account is the book of Acts. Acts starts off where Luke ended off. Listen to Jesus. You can turn there, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Listen to Jesus telling his disciples that the gospel, this good news about him, would triumph, would conquer. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. Again, the disciples are Jesus' witnesses. They are his messengers. Again, the message will spread to the ends of the earth beginning in Jerusalem. Jesus said it, that settles it. Nothing can or will prevent it. The gospel will spread. All that remains is for us to discover how he will do it. And that brings us to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Turn with me in your Bibles if you would. Acts chapter 2. We're going to almost preach the whole chapter this morning beginning at verse 1. When... The day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Luke doesn't feel the need to explain what Pentecost is to his reader, but we may need a few basic facts before we proceed. Pentecost is the Greek word or name for a Jewish festival, the festival of weeks. The festival of weeks celebrated the end of the grain Harvest And Pentecost means 50. 50 days have elapsed since the Passover. On Pentecost, all Jews from all over the world gather together in Jerusalem at the temple to worship. Now at the same time, there are 120 disciples of Jesus in an upper room. They are praying. They are waiting. For their master's promise of the Holy Spirit. Read on the next verse. Suddenly, 
There came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues of fire, as of fire, appeared to them and rested on each one of them. The sound was thunderous. It erupted through the house with all the force and commotion of a tornado, so loud that it reverberated throughout the city of Jerusalem and a crowd gathered to see what had happened. And there was fire, divided tongues. It was astounding. Next verses. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at the sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, I'm not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty words of God, and they were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Miracle upon miracle upon miracle. They spoke in other languages that they had never learned. As the Spirit gave them utterance, it was extraordinary it was phenomenal. Now we mustn't fall into a trap at this part of the passage. Because Pentecost isn't just about the gift of tongues. Pentecost isn't even primarily about the gift of tongues. Tongues isn't the main reason Luke is telling his story. But here are a few comments before we move the narrative on. Note, the tongues the disciples spoke were audible. The gathered crowd heard them speak. Note, the tongues the disciples spoke were miraculous. They spoke in real languages they had never learned. Languages such as Parthian and Median and Elam and Akkadian and Persian and Latin and Phrygian and Anatolian and Coptic and Berber and Sartan and Cretan and Arabic. Tongues from the nations that were gathered in that location. And note that the tongues the disciples spoke were sensical. The gathered crowd heard them telling of the mighty works of God. How would those Jews gathered in Jerusalem respond to these miracles, these signs, and these wonders? It says in the text, as we go into verse 18, they mocked and said, they are filled with new wine. The world hates God, 
And the world's hatred for God is manifested in the world's hatred for those that represent God. Last night, I I read the world watch list from Open Doors, and it is startling. These are the current figures from the last year. More than 360 million Christians experienced high levels of persecution and discrimination in the countries they reside in. 5,898 Christians died for their faith over the last year. 5,110 Christian buildings were attacked. 4,765 believers were detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned. And friends, the Western world is no longer immune. Christians, even in the West, are increasingly marginalized, Increasingly maligned, increasingly mocked for their faith. And it has always been this way. The Jews gathered in Jerusalem for the Feast of Weeks mock God's messengers even as they had mocked God's Son. And I say mock because there's two words, two Greek words for wine. The one word is for fermented wine, alcoholic wine, the kind of wine that you must not drink much of. That's not the word that Luke uses here. The word he uses here is for grape juice, for freshly pressed grape juice, unfermented wine, non-alcoholic wine, grape juice. These men are ridiculing the disciples. They're not saying they can't handle their wine. They're saying they can't handle their grape juice. And the question is, will mocking muzzle the messengers? Will Will sneering silence the saints? Will ridicule prevent the spread of the gospel message? Or will the gospel prevail? Peter stands. And Peter preaches. And it's one sermon. It's a relatively long portion of scripture. But I want to read it all together so that we get an idea of this first apostolic, this first messenger, this first Christian sermon. Read with me in the text. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you. Give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male and my female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass 
that everyone who calls on the, upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourself know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope for you will not abandon my soul to Hades. Or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I must say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would not set one of his that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we have all been witnesses. Therefore, Exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, whom you crucified. It's a long passage of Scripture. But it is important to read it as a unit because it is one sermon. It's not the whole sermon. Um, It's not the whole sermon. You think, oh, that's pretty quick. Why do our pastors preach so long on a Sunday? It's not the whole sermon because Luke writes that with many other words, Peter bore witness and continued to exhort them. But there's enough of a sermon here to get an idea of how the apostles preached. Now space doesn't allow and time doesn't allow for a detailed commentary on the sermon, but there are a few points that I would like us to observe from the sermon. Firstly, I'm encouraged that it's Peter who delivers the sermon. Peter, who so often misunderstood Jesus. Peter, who failed to trust Jesus. Peter, who foolishly corrected Jesus. Peter, who fell asleep because his flesh was weak. Peter, who denied Jesus three times. Peter, who is so relatable to me. That Peter is the instrument Jesus uses to spearhead the gospel proclamation in Jerusalem. Second, I'm inspired by how Bible-saturated the sermon is. Peter quotes Joel, a prophecy fulfilled at least in 
part before them. Peter goes on to quote a psalm to explain that Jesus was not subject to death but rose. Peter then references verses from Samuel as well as two psalms for telling the resurrection. And then as his sermon comes to a great crescendo, Peter quotes David, positioning Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. All that to say that Peter's sermon was thoroughly Bible-saturated. Third, I'm grateful that Peter preached the gospel. Peter preached the good news. He didn't entertain, tickle his audience's ears with a story. He didn't try and impress his audience with a philosophy. He didn't try and uplift his audience with a motivational speech. He didn't bore his audience with an academic lecture. Peter preached the gospel. The gospel that Jesus had commissioned him to preach. The good news. That the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Christ died, Christ rose. And Peter was an obedient messenger of Jesus Christ. What he said was, men of Israel, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. You killed Jesus. Christ died. Peter proclaimed the death of Christ. But Peter pressed on. God raised him up loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Christ rose. Peter proclaimed the resurrection of Christ. But the question that we have as we get to this point in the text is, is the gospel proclamation enough? Enough to conquer souls? Enough to triumph, powerful enough to spread from Jerusalem to all Judea and Samaria and then on to the ends of the earth. I'm guessing that on the day of Pentecost, as the nation of Israel was gathered, people assembled from all over the world, as they heard Peter preaching the gospel to them that you could have probably cut the tension in the air with a knife. Peter had said, God sent Jesus. Peter had accused the gathered crowd of killing Jesus. Peter had declared that Jesus didn't stay dead, but had risen from the grave. Peter had proclaimed Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah. And Peter had said that Jesus Christ was Lord over all, that he was Lord over them. And then I imagine for a moment, Peter paused. That time stood still as the awful truth dawned on them. As a great fear crept over them. 
as their desperate situation became clear to them. They had killed God's son. They were guilty of cosmic treason. Surely the wrath of God was leveled against them. In the text we read, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. They cried out, What shall we do? Jesus had told Peter what to say. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. And so that's what Peter said. Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. It is important to note here that Peter isn't saying that you're saved by repentance and baptism. Peter's command to repent is in the second person plural. And it corresponds to the phrase, the forgiveness of your sins, which is also in the second person plural. The verb, be baptized, is in the third person singular. So understand the sentence as, repent for the forgiveness of your sins, and let each one of you be baptized. Friends, there's a detail in verse 39 I want to point out to you. It says that this promise, this promise of salvation, this promise of forgiveness, is for you and your children and for those who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. The Lord calls men, women. And children. I trust he's even doing his work now. Do you hear his call? Because salvation belongs to the Lord and he is a mighty one to save. It makes no difference if you are young or old, if you are black or white, if you are rich or poor, if you are male or female, when God calls, you must still, by an act of your own will, call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. So call on the name of the Lord, Jesus Christ. Save yourself from this crooked generation. Do it now. Do it at once. Do it this moment. Because there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name in heaven given among men by which we may be saved. I recently moved into a new home. Our back garden was completely bricked over. And so I've taken my last six Mondays off and I've taken a pick and I've picked out um, all the bricks 
in the back garden. Um, and I've made piles of bricks. There's about three and a half tons of, of bricks that I've piled up and stacked up. It was, a, it was a very, very hard job. And I'm not built for manual labor. Now I want to grow lawn in my back garden. And so I bought a packet of lawn seed. And I turned it over and I read the instructions in terms of what lawns need to grow. Turns out it's pretty simple. They need sunlight and they need water. And maybe a little bit of fertilizer to help the grass seeds flourish and take root. I want you to think, members of Central Baptist Church, what it might take for a church to grow. We have a comprehensive instruction manual in the book of Acts. And it tells us that the first ingredient for church growth is the preaching of the gospel. Because when the gospel is preached, souls get saved. The last verse that we're looking at this morning is verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. 3,000 conversions in one day is the greatest miracle in Acts chapter 2. One soul saved would be the greatest miracle in Acts chapter 2. Greater than the sound like a mighty rushing wind, greater than the dividing tongues of fire, greater even than the gift of tongues. The salvation of a soul is a miracle. Dead men coming to life. Transferred from darkness into life. Alive in Christ. God's word continues to conquer souls. In every age to present the gospel triumphs. The gospel is preached and souls get saved. Let me illustrate by way of example in my own experience. In 2010, Liesl, my wife and I moved to a small church in a city named Benoni. When I say small, what I really mean is teeny tiny. <laughs> there were 11 members and there were only five people in attendance the first Sunday that we visited. But we had a conviction, a conviction that I want you to see in this text, that when the gospel is preached, souls get saved. And so I preached and God saved souls. Over the years, we saw scores of people come to faith and get baptized, and the church grew and became self-governing and self-supporting and eventually self-propagating until I came to you. I want you to have that conviction too, that when the gospel is preached, souls get saved. That's what I want you to catch from Acts chapter 2. Now, there's at least two main applications here. The one is for preachers and the other one is for believers. Having given the primary application uh, to unbelievers, which is the gospel itself. For preachers, knowing this truth, brother, <laughs> should shape the content of our messages. Gospel preaching is how God saves men and women. We must stop trying to entertain with stories. We must stop trying to impress with philosophies. We must stop trying to uplift with motivations. We must stop boring lectures. We need to present Jesus Christ and Him crucified for the salvation of men and women. 
for believers. It's for all of us. Knowing this truth comes as a great encouragement. Because I know if you're anything like me, you have been praying for family. Maybe for a mother, maybe for a father-in-law, maybe for a child that you love so dearly but who shows no sign of loving God. Maybe for a lifelong friend, maybe for a co-worker. You've been praying that the person whom God has laid on your heart would be saved. Be encouraged as you read Acts chapter 2. They are savable. They need to hear the gospel message. But know this, they may be saved under the preaching of the gospel and that should change your intentionality and your urgency by which you invite them to church, even on Sundays. You see, our Sunday services here at Central are not so different from what we see in Acts chapter 2. We gather here. We preach here. We proclaim the gospel here. We offer a call of salvation here. God, by his Holy Spirit, calls men to himself here. Men believe here. Men are baptized here. We add to the church here. That's what we do on Sunday, every Sunday. And so expose your family and your friends to the same gospel message which has been saving people ever since the day of Pentecost when it saved 3,000 and the millions and millions subsequent to that. Invite the people that you love to church because the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes and it will be proclaimed on Sundays as the message goes out. In closing, Nothing can or will prevent the spread of the gospel. Nothing. The world may ridicule, sneer, mock us and our message, but God's word will continue to conquer souls. In every age, even to this present day, the gospel triumphs. And as the gospel is preached, souls get saved because nothing will prevent the spread of the gospel. Amen? Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, before we came to the reading and the teaching of your word, we asked, would you show us Christ? Even now, Lord God, I do ask that Christ would be high and lifted up and on display his death and his resurrection. That men would know something of their sin which separates them from God and would cry out in their heart of hearts, what must I do to be saved? And would hear the message, repent for the forgiveness of sins. This is a work which you must do. You call men to yourself. Call, call now. Lord, we desire to praise and worship you as we hear the testimony of men and women coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Father, would you also work in our hearts? Would you help us, Lord God, to have faith that the proclamation of the gospel saves souls even in 2022? That, Lord God, you are as powerful today in the proclamation as your word as you were on the day of Pentecost, 
You are as able to save. You are as glorious. You are as mighty. You are as wonderful. Lord, help us to believe that. And then, Lord God, help us to live lives which are transformed by that belief. That we would have an urgency and an intentionality of inviting family and friends to church that they might sit under the proclamation of your word. These things we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. He is our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.